Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. And you guys know my custom here is to welcome our guests because I know they're coming with a couple of things that are very precious. Time. That commodity, when one becomes a lover of time, when one appreciates time, the value of time, when one hugs it and kisses time, you will see a valued life. When one does not understand that, they will misuse it. And we can see from their life the result. The other is the journey. The journey housed some powerful stuff because it created the individual who they are today. And we are absolutely honored to have Tesla come here and share both of these precious stuff with us. Thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Thank you so much for this beautiful invitation. I'm, I'm my, every single cell in my being is vibrating with just being excited about the, the privilege of sharing with you, Ken, and with anybody who's listening. It's, it's my honor to share where I'm at right now and also the journey. The journey is, is so, so important and so ubiquitous. We all are on the journey, all yes. of us. All of us, every single one of us. And I think I, and I'm glad that you're here because we are, we have to go through the journey to become designers of our life or creators of our life. And so I am excited to have this conversation with a fellow creator. Tell us, how do you serve others? How do you serve mankind in your capacity right now? Right now, I call myself a spirit activist, and I do that by writing books, sharing my journey intimately, uh, blow by blow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've always been a writer and an artist, and so I serve by basically not just producing these things myself because the publishing world, the so-called authorities, you know, the, the people yeah. in charge, the timekeepers, mm -hmm. the clock yeah. punchers, they don't want to have anything to do with somebody like me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to be a self-published author and I'm getting ready to present to me the most important book of all which is a magical story about how great mother herself comes to guide us through the darkness. Yeah. But all the preceding books uh, were various facets of my life. Uh, yeah. You know, not so much documenting the early trauma, but from the point where I stepped into the light, yeah. which for me meant recovery from addiction. 40 yeah. years ago. <laughs> oh, congratulations. I tell yeah. people the darkness. The purpose of the darkness is to get you in touch with your creator who has been residing with you for the day from the day you came. But because you are not attuned to it being there, it has to create a way by which you can see it shine. And so the darkness comes so that you can see you shine because yes, you are absolutely. that powerful and not until that's why i say to folks do not learn to embrace it because it is here for a purpose to teach you who you are one of our customs here is to go back into our childhood because it is usually the first space by which we reside for a little while we call that little while years so we are here with a set of folks that are traumatized as well, and they see the world through their trauma and their limitless thinking or beliefs or whatever it is. But they are now going to begin to teach us or, in other words, program us with data that they have accumulated in their life. Invite us to your family. What was that like? It was horrendous <laughs> and i ran away i ran away i ran away i ran away since i was an infant i was wow. always running away because when i finally did have a realization and consciousness i said what am i doing in this family yeah. it was totally alien to me 
and I was considered a freak and yeah. and their trauma became my trauma of course that's what happens in the family unit but yeah. for whatever reason my soul chose this family we yeah. all do mm-hmm. we make an arrangement however we do that I do not know I'm not one of yeah. these astral traveling people I'm not interested in that I stick to the here and now but yeah. the um the childhood I had was um you know I'm making peace with it I'm making peace with it but yeah. there was not just trauma but there was alcoholism mm-hmm. and there was abuse and I just kept running away and running away until finally I could successfully run away yeah even changing my name you know um disassociating yeah and uh it is the subject of the next book i'll be writing after i publish this this novel that i'm getting ready to so i i have no problems uh revealing the trauma but it's no nothing different than anybody else's trauma <laughs> really no i think it's like, trauma. my trauma is better than your trauma <laughs> <laughs> no I- one of the things I, 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 I try to tell people about trauma um, is that uh, it, it comes in so many different forms, but it gives birth to us in this way, that once we are traumatized from whatever and however it happens, it began to cause you and I to uh, perceive others and the world and even ourselves from that trauma. And it we began to program us with the limitations because of the trauma. I am this, I am less than, I can't do this, I can't, I am that, that, and, and all this stuff. And so we began to program ourselves from the trauma. And then as we move through life, that great day of the visitation, I call it when things happen, it says, Let's talk about mm-hmm. the trauma. So here you are, you were running, as you said, and mm-hmm. uh, coming back and running and coming back. That in itself creates a great deal of trauma. How did this woman, this young child, interpret to herself the going and coming back and seeming in her mind I can't get out of this, but I'm going to keep trying. Mm. How did she well, manage that? I am the jokester. Yeah. I am born under the sign of Sagittarius, and we're called the cosmic clowns of the universe. And if something is not fun, I don't want to do it, or else I will make it fun. So yeah. even running away became a game. Yeah. And it was my way of outfoxing my captors. I'm yeah. not going to go into ju- any juicy details about my trauma. No, if you're no. if you're waiting for that, you better read my books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about it's it. Because, because I, I I sincerely believe that there is no one person who has more trauma than the other. We're no. given exactly the right kind of trauma that we need or the experience. I call them challenges. I don't, I don't use the word trauma because to me, everything is a challenge and trauma is something that people hang on to a lot. And I've heard so many people because I'm in 40 years of recovery. You know, I hear people hang on, hang on, hang on to their stuff. Even after 40 years, they're what they called romanticizing how nice it would be to get high. How nice it would be yeah. to just you know wipe out and get drunk. Well, that's hanging on to trauma. But to me, a challenge yeah. is like a beautiful mountain. Like Ken is mountain, you know, in Chinese. I'm a big fan of the I Ching. Ken is the yeah. mountain. You know what it's like to climb to the heights. And yeah. um, so I see the so-called trauma, the challenge of my childhood being, I was thinking about it last night as I was doing my yoga practice. What would my life be like if I hadn't had parents that just seemed like they were there to like, you know, kill my spirit? (laughs) They were doing whatever they could to kill my spirit, telling me I'm insane, telling me I can't do 
my creative juice thing because I've always been into just creating, creating, and usually yeah. making a mess. You know, starting a fire in the garage because yeah. I wanted to see what fire was like, and <laughs> you know, writing on the the walls, but using it as my chalkboard. I never played with dolls, but I wanted to share with them my knowledge. So I'd yeah. line them up and, <laughs> and 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 do things like that. But I can tell you. The most extraordinary thing about my childhood today that I remember is what I find out from my parents in adulthood about what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. The little, the little knowledges that you get, the little hits of knowledge about what motivated them yeah. and things that were occurring that made them who they were. Mm -hmm. For instance, my parents actually had a visit with a UFO, there was a wow. spacecraft that came to our little tiny house in Illinois, Nowheresville, mm -hmm. Illinois. It was a suburb outside Chicago. And they, of course, did not tell us this because we were children inside the house playing at the time or watching TV, howdy doody, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and later on in life, when I was told this, I said, ah, well, maybe that explains why I too have been visited with UFO, yeah. <laughs> extraterrestrial events. So yeah. the interconnection of everything is so fascinating. And in this day, for me to visit my childhood, when I when I spent a few moments, yes, last night, thinking, what, what, what would my life be like if I had had parents who said, oh, you are just a fabulous child. You can do anything. You can go to the moon if you want. It made me sad. I started yeah. crying and I said, wow, who could do that to a child? Yeah. But yet they were very nice people. They just didn't know better yeah. because that was the limitation of their awareness because I did yeah. not fit into their pattern. And, and because my spirit had to be this rebellious kind of, you know, new thinking person, yeah. even as a child. So, so I had to have the trauma. I had to have the challenges. I embraced them. I blessed them. Yeah. But as a parent myself, I'm a, I'm a stepmom and my, our adult children are now giving us grandchildren. Yeah. I would never, ever tell a child what my parents told me ever. Yeah. And I would never treat them the way they, they treated me. If I didn't finish my meal, I was sent to the basement yeah. and told not to come out of this dirty, dingy, moldy basement until I had eaten liver and all that, you know, Brussels sprouts and stuff that kids hate. <laughs> and so what did I do? I found a hole somewhere <laughs> and just put everything into the hole <laughs> Yeah. until eventually I was found out. And I always, I always was very creative about getting out of my, my punishments. Yeah. And it came Mine in handy is. as an adult when I got the big punishments, you know, from yeah. society. That's <laughs> when the story gets really interesting. Talk about trauma. <laughs> Childhood was nothing compared to the trauma I inflicted on myself in yeah. early adulthood. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like uh, the trauma we inflict on our own selves because mm. it is. Um, yeah, I've been there and mine was, and I don't get a chance to talk much about mine because I, I am the don't one tell, that is interviewing. Don't tell, Ken, what was your trauma? <laughs> as I an remember adult. As, uh, as a young one, a young boy, I said, I made a statement to my grandfather because he was uh, grew up in the country and I would go visit him in the country uh, in the summers because I just love uh, the farm. I love being in nature and all of that stuff. And so one day I said to him that, he, um, I'm so hungry I could eat all of that food that he had cooked and it was a big pot of food and I was probably about eight or nine he made me eat the whole thing <laughs> and just because you said that just because I said that and so oh, dear. I remember the pain mm. um, you couldn't sit I couldn't lie I couldn't it, it, it was an intense um, lesson mm. that I, I, I was taught 
And so mm. there are many of those type things going on. Okay, so what I, was I the lesson though? Was the lesson like, I don't get it because that was cruel. I yeah, don't get it. Absolutely Tell cruel. me the lesson. <laughs> what I named one of my sons after him in order to, um, it, it, for me, it, it uh, transitioned me into the space of absolute, totally, total forgiveness. Mm -hmm. that I was able to name my son after my grandfather because uh, that name would be mentioned every day. And so I remember that journey. The lesson was it formed me. It began to make me, um, uh, I became a rebel, an intense <laughs> rebel. I mean, and I would say the same words. I am not going to allow you to break me. You mm -hmm. can try as much as you want, but you will you'll ne you'll never succeed. And what it did to me mentally, it made me strong as this young kid growing mm -hmm. up who was never normal like the others. Mm -hmm. And so I mm -hmm. understand parts of that. So here you are, this young girl That's experiencing and, and expressing her uh, <laughs> world in art art becomes her expression she looks at the wall and see uh, images and begins to express it and all the family looks at that child and say wow what a special child no and way this kid, <laughs> no I know, what are you I know talking about not me yeah, yeah they're giving you all <laughs> kinds of names that they're calling you you know special is just it so here you are you're learning and soaking up all of that uh how did you um, hold it together, if you will, as you're moving through in this family? How did this young kid hold it together? Because you still got to hold it together, even though all the madness is happening around you. And you have to figure a way how to manage uh, your world within that mm -hmm. madness, the tornadoes of life, if you will. Well... <laughs> It was a very short period, but I was a teenage alcoholic. And that was the yeah. only way I could get through it. Because my parents yeah. were both in that world, and I just outdid them. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I got into acting out and yeah. never got caught because I'm, that came later in life. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you finally get caught. Yeah. By either God, the forces yeah. that control the universe, or the law, <laughs> yeah. put in prison, which would happen yeah. to me. Every single thing I did in my life leading up to that event when I got caught and had to pay yeah. the price was written invisibly on the walls of my third world prison cell <laughs> where yeah. I was captured. But as a teenager, I was very foxy. Nobody ever caught me. <laughs> Nobody ever caught me. Even after yeah. I stole my parents' car. I mean, we're talking about underage, 14, yeah. 15, because they were so busy in their addictions. Anybody who's a kid in an uh, alcoholic home knows that you, know, you can do anything you want because your parents are just out of it. Yeah. And that's not a pretty thing. So, yeah. and you, you talk about like... Uh, making art and uh by that time i i didn't know how to do it because i was told don't you ever think about doing art that's a waste of time yeah you can't do that you have to get a job you have to earn money you have to raise a family mm -hmm. you can't do something so stupid as raise as you know make art so i was never given any encouragement about that at all yeah. so the rebel was going to college thinking I was going to be a lawyer mm -hmm. following the course that my parents had set me and proceeding to get expelled because yeah. I was an alcoholic freshman. Yeah. That's, what, yeah. that's wow. what alcoholic freshmen people do. They get them, themselves expelled. But yeah. the forces that be brought me out of this little dinky town that I had uh, been in when I went to college to the big metropolitan city of Boston. Yeah. And the college that I got expelled from was right next door to the Museum of Fine Arts, which yeah. became my temple, 
my happy yeah. place. I spent every moment there. I absorbed that museum. If anybody has been there, they know that they have the best collection of Eastern uh, art, including yeah. Buddhas from ancient places. The Buddha room is a massive, huge temple that most people don't even know about. It's deep in the bowels of wow. the museum. And I just found myself. I realized that I was an artist. But yeah surrounding myself with beautiful world-class high quality art mm -hmm. with the ancient stuff struck me just as much as the impressionist did and the modern and the sculpture and the paintings. And I, that was, that was my teacher. My teacher was the walls of yeah. the Boston museum of fine arts. So I, I decided, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And yeah. In two weeks, without having had any training, except as a kid, I was always copying, copying Superman, copying even my dad's Playboys that I found in the closet. <laughs> I was an expert copier. And I decided I was going to go to art school. Yeah. Never having had an art lesson. And this was a very prestigious art school. And I did earn uh, acceptance right away just based upon what they call draftsmanship. I could copy yeah. anything because I'd been copying things as a kid secretly. Every yeah, encyclopedia, yeah. you know, getting trouble as a kid because, oh, I traced the bird. <laughs> well, you wrecked the bird for everybody else using the bees and, you know, Britannica encyclopedia. So my parents had to pay the price because I was doing things like that. Yeah. That's, what, that's how I began to be an artist, by being the rebel. And I think, you know, the true artistic spirit is you have to be what they what normal people call either insane yeah. or a rebel you can't be a normal person one who abides by the rules if you're either going to be an artist or a spiritual seeker and i happen to yeah. be both yeah you can't because you're not normal no, so, we're not, we're not. and if no. you're not normal they don't know how to deal with someone like that and so that's where all the name calling the all the abuse um just perpetuates and because you are absolutely uh, a non-conformist according to their uh, programming. So here you are, you in class, you, you know, nothing that we do in life is just happenstance. I always tell people, mm -hmm. oh, here's this little girl um, tracing and copying things and now she's able to enter into a prestigious place college based on her copying as a little young child yeah. how did you feel when you got accepted and you know that you're about to walk into something that is deep inside you that got lit up while you were looking at the walls if you will you know i had the same feeling yesterday it's amazing when you when you know you're getting a strike yeah. of blessing call it fate or destiny you just know I, I had that feeling yesterday because um i'm getting ready to publish a book and i just got a huge endorsement from my writing hero wow. the man who wrote Beautiful. life of pi yes. if you know that yes. that story life of pi mm -hmm. yes. so when i was accepted <laughs> Well, it didn't stop my drinking. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, well, this stuff works. <laughs> Let's have some more tequila. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just like, whoopee, I get to be with all the other freaky people yeah. who don't dress right and don't look right. And, and, uh, and I am a very tall person. And I was wearing my hair very short at the time and wearing pea coats and, and yeah. jeans. And those were the days when, I would go by Wentworth, which was a, uh, an institute for technology to get to mm -hmm. the school. And they would throw water balloons at me and say, <laughs> are you a boy or are you a girl? And really, I would get razzed wow. so much because of just my physical. Yeah. I, I was in the subway once and, and some guy, it was the Vietnam days, and he hands me a book of matches. And he said, here, go burn your draft card. Because he thought I was a guy wow. avoiding the draft, you know, just yeah. being 
I never used the word hippie, but you know, those were the, the days, you know, yeah. Larry and Alpert was mm-hmm. were just doing their thing with acid yeah. and Harvard mm-hmm. square. And there I was in Boston. Guess who was in Harvard square with them? <laughs> <laughs> so my education dove into psychedelia yeah. pretty rapidly. And I was just having a great time. It was, it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> to, be that... a, to be a wild <laughs> child in the 60s. <laughs> How did that help with your growth? Um, because I know of people that when you're in the, um, with psychedelics and stuff like that, if one understands the purpose of it, and I know Larry and those guys, eventually they headed that direction when they Especially Baba Ramdas, Richard yes. Alpert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he, they began he to I... become purposefully doing that. And how was those experiences? Because those are more intense and they are more enlightening. Well, you got to start somewhere, Ken. (laughs) You know, you got to start scrubbing out the shit. (laughs) I had a lot of shit to scrub out. Uh, No, I did. At that time, okay, at that time when I dove into the psychedelia thing, I really thought I had become insane because I had recurring nightmares because yeah. of uh, the abuse that happened to me as a child. And yeah. it was just like horrendous. I didn't want to go to sleep because, you know, it was reenacted in my subconscious. And I would experiment to see if there was at least some place during the daytime where I could take a little nap and I wouldn't yeah. be played by these horrendous nightmares. I mean, just chilling nightmares where you wake up just crying and your bed is yeah. wet because you're crying. And so I was just getting ready to knock on the door of the local loony bin, which was called, um, oh, I forget, I forget the name anyway. So, and then somebody said, oh, here, try this. (laughs) (laughs) And in those days, that was like 66 or something. This was before I got into meditation because meditation, I I was in the first wave of the TM people, like 67, 68, but 66 I was, um, somebody actually slipped acid into like the punch, you know, that proverbial yeah, thing that yeah. is really a nasty thing to do. To do but yeah. that was my first introduction. And it does change people's minds. I mean, just like yeah. uh, the book, Change Your Mind, mm-hmm. um, recently documented with microdosing and everything. Yeah, if somebody yeah. asked me today, well, what do you think about people using psychedelics? I would say, hey. If you're really stuck, do whatever you can to get unstuck as fast as you can. Yes. Because the celebration of the joy of the magic of life is so waiting for you once you yeah. get over that block. And I was one of those. I yeah. I wasn't thinking about suicide, but I definitely thought I was ready to commit myself. And yeah. instead, I dove into psychedelia. And... Yeah. uh not for very long because <laughs> there's something about acid where it really does change the cells of your brain. And <laughs> after a while, I started seeing people's bones. I mean, yeah. I, I was seeing through their skin. So it's not something to take too much of. And I would yeah. never tell anybody to do it without really understanding the severity of that choice. It's yeah. a pretty severe choice. Yeah. If you. I remember one of my teachers, if you don't understand the purpose of a thing, you will abuse that thing. And so um, there's some wisdom there. And, <laughs> and there's so that there. famous story of Baba Ramdas, you know, when he yeah. was Richard Alpert in, mm-hmm. in uh, uh, that his book, um, you know, that famous book yeah. he wrote. So he's there meeting his guru. And the guru said, what you got in your pocket? And and uh, Richard at that time had about 300 hits of acid or something. And, and Bhagwan Rajneesh said, um, give me what you have. And Albert gave it to him. And we just like took all of it. Do you remember yeah. that story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't affect somebody <laughs> who's do in that sublime state. Yes. It didn't do anything to him. No. <laughs> Be here now. Be here now. That's the name of the yeah. book. I still have a copy of it. I love it. Yeah, it is. I know people that do take it today, and I tell them, I explain it to them this way. It 
is an elevator that will get you to your destination faster than other ways. But it must be purposeful. You have to understand that there is some, there's a cost to it. So when you take the elevator quickly, you know, um, there's a cost. But when you investigate the cost and where you're at, right. what is more important for you? But, you know, some people need to have that, right. because especially those that are with the uh, alpha mindset that uh, always their mind is, is not able to calm down and uh, mm -hmm. uh, they are trying to, you know, uh, uh, rationalize you know, mm -hmm. your fingernail, the rate of your the growth <laughs> on your fingernail. So uh, those type folks. And so yeah. here this girl is, this woman now, experienced <laughs> all this trauma and still have the, the, the alcohol and testing all the psychedelia stuff. And she is experiencing a new powerful lifestyle, if you will. What was happening to this woman there oh that was my crucifixion that was yeah. the death of the previous like little girl from the suburbs who was yeah. supposed to wear pretty clothes and get married to a guy who had a yeah. nice job mm -hmm. take care of kids and everything um that was the death that was my crucifixion yeah and and i was transforming into the butterfly i was in the caterpillar stage yeah <laughs> And um, enjoying myself immensely, uh, yeah. even when I had to face my demons. Um, yeah. And I want to say one more thing about for anybody who's contemplating using psychedelics. There is always a gamble that you will not come back from yep. that elevator trip. We yeah. all know victims yes. of, of those days. And so... Yeah. The, and I know somebody who's taking micro doses of acid right now, and he's he's stuck. You know, you yeah. can get stuck microdosing yep. if mm -hmm. you just want to get stuck. Just pick anything; you can get stuck, yeah, and not move. But life is movement, constant yeah. movement, yes. constantly shedding yeah. old, constantly yeah. metamorphosing into yes. something more beautiful, more outrageous, more free, yeah. more joyous. Yeah, when you get stuck, I, I've been to water um, places where water is stagnated. Mm. <laughs> That's what stuck looks like. <laughs> it's very dangerous. Yeah, they have these yeah. microbes now that can, that really are deadly. If, if yeah. stagnant water here in Florida, where I live, yep. you stay away from the stagnant water. Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of creatures coming out of there that are very deadly to you. So that's why I tell people make sure that you don't. Uh, uh, become yeah. stuck because right. it is very dangerous to be there. So as this girl is being given birth to this new individual yeah. and yeah. she's now looking to her quote unquote future life. Um, what no, was it? No, I was still <laughs> stuck in like, I'm probably going to die before 21 because I was hell bent on my, on my, Doing that, I was really no. I I was not looking for a future. I was at that point because I was an addict. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was stuck in addiction. That was my. I was not yet released. Ready. Spiritually. Yeah. yeah. But I got released from suburbia. The parents. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And basically thumbed my nose at them, and you know I had to do that. I had to yeah. make a break. It wasn't pleasant, but I had to. Mm -hmm. So I was stuck in addiction, which is a terrible place to be. And even if yeah. you think you're having fun, eventually it turns on you. you yeah, just like any other monster always does. Yes. I, I, I became, and I would tell people this, I became an individual in my 30s because I had, I became Ken Primus when an incident happened and I confronted my parents and it's we split for the for that time and i knew that once i made that encounter that it would change our relationship forever and when i did i became ken primus which mm -hmm. i tell people and i did that in my 30s and so we live to please mom and dad or we try to live for them for some reason 
And uh, mm -hmm. when we uh, come to the space where we now are beginning to become an adult, you will feel that separation. It is, it is really something else because it, it's earth shaking. And, and uh, but yeah, it's necessary for you to start your own individual journey. So you you got uh, released from mom and dad. How did this girl now begin to move and create this new life and still is in uh, arrested by alcohol and uh, drugs and so forth? How did she begin to move forward in her life? Um, and what was the event that got you to the point where you now began to introduce meditation into your life? Okay, so we're skipping a big part where yeah. because I had this urge to to not so much destroy myself, but to uh, just peel away all the layers of what I was supposed to be, I became a sailor. I learned how to sail because uh, wow. in Boston, there's not just the Museum of Fine Arts, but there's Gloucester which is yeah. the famous fishing harbor. Fishing and, harbor. Yeah. and I learned how to sail in Gloucester yeah. Harbor, hitting every single pier I could. And I said, wow, this is really fun. Yeah. And I immediately got um, a chance to go to the Caribbean. And mm -hmm. I stayed in the Caribbean for a whole decade. And wow. I, I became a pirate. <laughs> a she pirate. I love this. Doing legitimate things now and yeah. then, but doing a lot of illegitimate things. <laughs> pirate because things. Yeah. I was a, that was part of my addiction. Yeah. And I eventually lived in smack dab in the middle of the Caribbean, which is Dominica, between yeah. two French islands, Guadeloupe and, and uh, Martinique. And mm -hmm. I spent years there uh, with an inter-island shipping business of fruits and vegetables and doing as many trips as I could on passing sailors. I sailed out all different kinds of boats, uh, everything yeah. from tiny 20-footers all the way to Jamaica uh, from the Caribbean and big feral cement boats that were made by some crazy guy up in the Alps and he had to mm -hmm. ship it down to the Med. And I mean, you, you meet interesting people. This yeah. was not on my meditation path. This was yeah. my adventure. I was, uh, yeah. I was really, I was compelled to have adventure, and every yeah. single thing I did, I'm now writing about and sharing those stories because they're incredible stories. Yeah. And the Caribbean in those days, that was all the '70s, was was really no man's territory. I, you know, forget the resorts. Forget yeah. those fancy places that today you have to, you know, have passport and everything. But in in the seventies, you could hop all around the islands just with a smile. <laughs> Go to the airport and thumb a ride to the next island, or hop on a, a local boat and just yeah. get a bunk or sleep yeah. on the deck. But meanwhile, I had a legitimate business that was uh, shipping and organizing cooperatively the peasant type of farmers who were living yeah. in the third world. Now I was one of a handful of white people living on a totally black nation Island, Dominica. Mm, yeah. And so my life, I wanted to not be white. I wanted to not be a woman. <laughs> I wanted to not be American. Everything yeah. I had been, I wanted to not be yeah. And I could successfully do that because I left my terrain, yeah. left my roots, yeah. and I was accepted. I mean, all my West Indian friends called me a West Indian woman because I'm a like West Indian woman. I lived <laughs> with the Rastas in Jamaica. Yeah. I smoked the ganja until I fell off the cliff. And, <laughs> and eventually, I did get caught for yeah. some mischief that yeah. I wasn't even personally involved just because of my association. So I did spend time in prison yeah. in the Dominican Republic. And you'd think that that would be the end of my shenanigans with addiction. But after yeah. three months, when I was finally found innocent uh, and released because my father came to rescue me, yeah. Latino people do not like to see a big six foot <laughs> five man cry. 
Yeah. And in court, that's all he did. We sat there weeping. So the judge just said, innocent, innocent, get her out of here. (laughs) The other two people I was caught with were not found innocent because they did not have a weeping father. Yeah. And they were men also. So you'd think that that would be the end of my drinking, drugging years, but no. Yeah. I still had some more to do. But shortly thereafter, uh, and it was 1984 by this time, James, mm-hmm. uh, uh, George Orwell's famous 1984 year, that was the turning point in my life, yeah. when I was finally confronted with the truth by some very dear friends who taped me and showed me the truth of who I really had become. Yeah. And I was uh, not aware of that. So I was 36, so also in, in the in my 30s. And that was the turning point for me when I had a reality check. So I could not deny it anymore because people who like me, if we are a blackout drinker and you get to a certain point, you just don't even know what you are like when you're under the influence of that poison, that toxic brain killing, heart killing, soul killing poison. And I was so shocked that I finally stopped shaking after three days and dragged myself to the program of recovery and begged mm-hmm. for help. That wow. was the beginning of my my sober life, coming into the yeah. light. What a gift they offer you, wasn't it? Oh. You know, what a gift. Yeah. A painful gift, but it was a powerful gift. You know, denial is so produce. strong. They, yeah. they talk about denial being the number one symptom of addiction. This is a talk, yeah. this is a really graphic example of it. When my friends played the tape recording, you know, it was a phone message. Yeah. And I heard this witchy voice. I said, oh, what a joke. You guys, yeah. this is really funny. Who is that? And they said, Tessa, that's you. And I said, no, it's not. So they played it again and they played it again. And they played it again until finally there was like this curtain over my my mind that just went. And finally I heard my voice. Yeah. It took them playing it about six or seven times when I heard my voice. I said, oh, my God, that is me. Because our mind plays tricks. Yeah. And denial is actually a safeguard for yes. many people when talk about the trauma. If we experienced it in our everyday consciousness the trauma it would probably make us all insane yeah so it goes into this place called repression and some people never can revise it again some people can through hypnosis but in my case it was just my friends being persistent yeah so finally i heard and so denial is something very much uh, a part of addiction. If anybody's struggling with addiction, they have to look at that. Yeah. Um, when you began, when you took yourself into uh, to get help, and of course that is a journey that takes time, and you began, was it at that um, place that you brought meditation into your life uh, as a... I, I had already... I had already gone through the initial, like I knew before my drinking and drugging stopped, I knew I needed help. So in 1967, I was a recipient of being initiated into TM when the first wave came, but I hadn't finished with my drinking years. So I, I did enough meditation during 67, 68. And I knew that that would be my true life, but, I just couldn't walk Get away there, from yeah. yes. from my self destructiveness because that's an that's the biggest addiction there is. Yeah. It's it's uh people call it codependency these days, but it's got a lot to do with self destruction. You know, yeah. putting yourself down because you're so used to what maybe it could be karmic. Maybe my soul came in with that, but I had been trained by my yeah. parents to put myself down, so that's what I continued to do. So that was 67 when I first had my first experience with meditation and meditated religiously for a year. Yeah. Then 1984, so what's that? That's that's uh, almost 10 years, isn't yeah. it? 67? Oh, that's mm-hmm. like 
long time, almost <laughs> 20 years. Gosh, yeah. I'm a mess. <laughs> 1980, <laughs> 1984, I came into recovery and coinciding the, 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 grace, the grace of this universe brought not only recovery, but I instantly found my teacher. Nice. And I'm not going to disclose who my teacher is. Yeah. That's very private. The, no, Everybody that's, has that's to find okay. their own teacher. Yes. Everyone has their, um, theirs, you know, that will uh, guide them, their guide. And, and that person is the person that you are, will hold you accountable of your madness. Yes. <laughs> Holy madness. Yes. And so... As you're moving through, you've gone through, you're going through, and you continue to go through healing as a, um, an alcoholic and someone who is um, addicted to something, because it's not just alcohol, it's other things <laughs> that we are addicted to. And as you are moving through your life, Tessa, and you are now going to walk in or usher yourself into your spiritual growth where you are now becoming a true student of it, one that is going to live there um, instead of one that is visiting. As you're walking towards that lifestyle, what were you thinking about as you're seeing the pull? Because it's a recognizable pull that happens to us and we have to make a decision to, yes, this is where I need to be. How was that? How did you end up there, if you will? Well, I had always been seeking. Yeah. I went through many teachers, always saying, oh, you know, it didn't resonate. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I, what a bunch of crock, you know, when you hear, <laughs> hear some teachers say. Yeah. And, but this particular teacher, just, I was on, the vibration and it's a woman her vibration yeah. and my vibration just and yeah. in the yogic world we call that shaktipat yes. where you have an instantaneous awakening yeah. and i didn't know that that's what happened it took me a year of studying the yogic scriptures and yogic disciplines to figure yeah. out what the heck happened to me but my yeah. my kundalini if everybody mm -hmm. is familiar with the Kundalini, the yearning, yeah. our spiritual life that is always dormant within us, my Kundalini was awakened spontaneously. Yeah. Although it had been up and down and all up around, and down, always, yeah. <laughs> but but totally awakened, yeah, by just meeting the teacher, yeah. and and then it was a question of surrender, yeah, surrender, surrender. Surrender. I just totally surrender to it. That piece right there as a the surrender, surrender, surrender. Walk with us a little because that is um, you have to be ready for that because that transition right there, the surrender, is one of the most powerful things you will do. But it. In some cases, it could be one of the scariest things you can do because you are no longer relying on your certain abilities of that you have been utilizing for many years. Uh, they are talking about the switch from the um, the uh, uh, the mind to the heart, where you are now being guided by the inner you versus you know you're looking now into the subconscious that one that is inside you that is truly you you're now going to surrender this mad mind and trust we call it several things instinct uh, the soul all of these terminologies but that surrendering there talk to us about that Tessa, because it is necessary but it also, for some folks, it can be very scary. Very scary. Yeah. Well, I can talk about it before I surrendered to the spiritual life yeah. and living in the light. Yeah. I surrendered to being an addict, which yeah. is a, also integral part of switching addictions from the negative to positive. Because you don't just yeah. say to an addict, oh, you've got to stop. 
your addictions. Yeah. You you introduce mm-hmm. a new healthy addiction could be mm-hmm. just breathing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or dancing, or something. You have to have a new addiction, and then the recovery rooms they encourage you to get addicted to recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Addicted to those rooms. Get addicted to your new sober friends. So when I experience surrender to my addiction, and because I'm a visual person, yeah. I can explain it. Uh, the first time I experienced surrender, I was in my mind. I mean, this is not at all reality. Yeah. I was on a, a field, like a battlefield, like what's happening now in Gaza and Ukraine. Yeah, and I knew I was alive, but not really sure of it because everywhere I looked, I could peer around. I could see body parts, my own body parts, an arm there, a leg there, a finger there, and other people's body parts. It was really, really an awful, horrendous destruction. And I couldn't look all around me horizontally, but I looked up and the sky was blue. And I could see up there, there was a flag, a white flag of surrender flying. And I said, what is that? And I realized it was me flying (laughs) my white flag of surrender. And the battlefield was my life. And I had that strong image. I have never painted it because, you know, Goya and the masters. (laughs) We've had a lot of bloodbathy paintings yeah. like that. I don't I don't focus on that in my art. All those kind of paintings I took to the to the dump. <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm working out the demons. Okay, so that was my first experience with surrender. But when I felt this awakening of my kundalini, yeah. it was just being transported without drugs, without any influence. And I had experienced the height of that because I was also I forgot to mention, I was a botanical illustrator for early plant scientists, the -hmm. fathers of ayahuasca, the fathers who studied cocaine, mushrooms, psilocybin. I was involved in all those studies at Harvard as Mm. the botanical illustrator. Yeah, yeah. I knew about all that from the indigenous work that we did. But I'm talking about just me in my naked body, yeah, just skin and blood and guts and a soul, yeah. and I was totally attuned to this vibration that was coming from the teacher because yeah. you're, the the mind resonates like crystals, and we pick mm-hmm. up on other people's vibrations. That's why with some people we feel so comfortable with, like you, yeah. you can. I feel we are kindred spirits. Other people you just stay away from because you don't want them to know anything well, yeah. about you. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that surrender was bliss. Yeah. Surrendering yeah. to bliss. Yeah. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't yeah. surrender to bliss? Yeah. I wanted. I wanted just to be in bliss forever. Yeah. Satchitananda. Yeah. I spend much time on an ashram. I, 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 I heard earlier you mentioned I was also a student of the I Ching, the, uh, the Vedas, all of those books I mm-hmm. devoured um, because I was inquisitive about um, principles within the spiritual realm and how I, can I assimilate the wisdom uh, from the sages into my being. And so I began to um, devour, if you will. I was hungry to under, to understand. So here is this woman. Mm-hmm. She has been through a the history of, <laughs> when you talk about your life, you have gone through the history of the 60s, and you are now moving through the things that you've done, Desert. Um, my God, <laughs> you, need to, you need to work on those books and get them all out. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and you now have met your teacher, your, um, you have awakened the Kundalini, you are now there, and you are learning to live in the moment. 
as you are there and how did you begin to put some of those things in the notes, the books, how did that came about in writing it um, and your purposeful living as you are and creating now, how did all of this begin to um, blossom before you? Well, there's the journey. Yeah. There's the journey. That <laughs> was part, is. what was it? Was that part 25 or part 30,000? 30, <laughs> it's just the next chapter of the journey. Yeah. It's not an overnight. Yeah. It's just whatever rings my bell, I yeah. did. And I was blessed with great mentors and great experiences. And I got uh, sober in, in New York City by the way. Yeah. I was, you know, going from the Caribbean where yeah. I lived for 10 years. I didn't go directly to New York City. I went to mm. Israel. Yeah. I lived for a year in Israel. That's another yeah. whole story. When I finally get to New York City where I had my surrender to my addictions and started meditating regularly, I was doing the dual program of the recovery of the 12 steps and yeah. diving into yogic practices which i'd yeah. always done because yeah. i've done asanas uh for yeah. bad back since i was a teenager I'd, yeah. i've been a yogi but i became much more serious yogi yeah. because i that was my thrill that was my bliss and i became very much enthralled with chanting yeah i'm a big lover of chanting mm -hmm. in sanskrit or other languages not in english yeah. And the call and response that you get into with working with community and the yeah. energy that you get with being with other people on the same wavelength yeah. and sharing our adventures and the writing and the arting just continued. And like I said, I took all the old stuff to the dump. Yeah, I was not going to focus on any of that negative demonic stuff. It was yeah. gone, wiped out. Yeah. I actually watched people devour these um, paintings and uh, things of mine. I took it to the East Hampton dump <laughs> where they had like a re recycling tent. And, oh, man, I can just imagine people taking these horrible paintings and setting them up like, you know, in their, in their trailers or homes <laughs> on top of their TVs. And <laughs> it was kind of funny. I, I had to see them do it. And they just like, you know, it was like grats. And so all my work now was as a result of what is my experience in meditation? Well, it's elevated. Yeah. My worldview yeah. became so expanded. Yeah. My <clears throat> understanding of the connection of what is important yeah. became true. That doesn't mean that I was an overnight success. Oh, I had yeah. many failures. Yeah. But life really changed for me when I got married to my beautiful man we've been married yeah. for 32 years now and yeah. i became what i call angel mom yeah and i i had to learn to nurture these two little souls that were four and yeah. seven broken little souls when yeah we got married and for me that's that was my art piece at the yeah. time the yeah. performance piece of a lifetime to nurture yeah. to guide to just yeah. fill with yeses to little souls that had been damaged yeah. by the previous bio mom, I call her. Yeah. <laughs> I love and, it, the bio mom. Uh, and my story just went on and on. And, and to tell you the truth, it did not become totally healed until my biological parents left the planet. Yeah. I had to have that release. Yeah. And um, and I was with both of them as they left their bodies. I had that mm -hmm. great privilege yeah. of accompanying them to the light. And on my mother's deathbed, she lived to be 97 and a half. I wow. showed her a booklet of my art, which um, I don't have one here. It's called We Are One. It's like my yeah. manifesto. It's yeah. art. And she looked at it. And she, she looked at me. And she looked at it. She said, you did this? Yeah. <laughs> yes, mother. This is what I do. Yeah. But um, she was shocked. She had no wow. idea. She had no idea. 
And so that's when my um, real life began at the yeah. age of, I don't know, <laughs> that's like almost 70. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is um, the deepest, the deepness of you, um, Tessa. We are so deep as individual that it will take several lifetimes for us to really get a chance to figure out who we are because we are, um, we are, uh, we are that deep. And I tell people you need to, mm -hmm. my heart hurts when people don't have a chance to really experience who they are and the open themselves, as you said, to the path of surrendering. It takes some time to get there. Mm -hmm. When you arrive and you take the steps to to become to surrender, what happens is that you are start ushering, ushering in yourself into the space of a servant, a true servant. That a servant has to surrender, has to surrender all of their understanding, and allow their uh, inner being to become the one that is walking with them this this body and my mind is just instruments that is used by this by me inside but i have to surrender that and allow my inner being to be to be real to be out there and experience life that's when we start living i tell people and so True. you guys that are mm -hmm. listening to us mm -hmm. i have someone that has been there <laughs> <laughs> when you listen to her story from uh, you know all of the history of um, the so many different movements she was a part of at the front line uh, I have someone guys that you can get into her space her books those books and I tell people are private conversation between you and her People pay thousands of dollars to get a private interaction with teachers all over. And you can get that for the price of a book. <laughs> when you sit down, find your comfort. And when you find your comfort, what happens is your mind is going into a theta state. It's a state that you put yourself in. And when you put yourself in that state and you read those words, they have the ability to leap from that and become a living organism within your living organism and change you forever. And I allow you, I, I want to welcome you guys. I'm going to provide everything for you to get access to her. Uh, she does much more, but I want you guys to get into her space. Get wisdom. It will change your life. Get understanding, it will encourage you. Get knowledge, it will hug you, kiss you, and give birth to some powerful being of who you are. I have someone that is before us that is acquainted with all of them, and she will guide you into your space. Tessa, thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. I have been, uh, parts of me have been awakened to the power that is you and the history that you have brought into my life. I am honored. It is mutual. Thank you so much. And I just want to send love to everybody, especially anybody who feels they need love and i awaken yeah. every morning and just make a little conduit between the divine and myself and i just say use me use yeah. me direct me and my life is not mine it is the sacreds the language of a servant that mm -hmm. it is and i i try to educate people servants when you look at them you think that they are weak they are the, the true warriors, are the servants, because they yes. <laughs> have gone through. They are true, powerful warriors. And because of their knowledge 
understanding, insights, and wisdom. They will guide you through minefields that you are not even aware that are there because they are warriors. And I'm watching one of the most powerful ones I've ever seen in a while. Thank you. Well, it's been a privilege. And uh, I just want to say one thing, too, that it's very yeah. important to keep a sense of humor throughout this oh, whole yeah. journey. And I value people's humor and their and their connection with joy. It's not a serious yes. thing to be a servant or to be a lover of no. the divine. It's a very joyous, blissful, blissful gift. Yeah. I dance all over the place. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> Let's dance. I'm constantly dancing and um, <laughs> uh, expressing love and gratitude. One must... Um, always be in a state of gratitude there is gratitude is is just beautiful meditation with gratitude some of the most powerful uh, uh uh tools you will ever bring into your life to make a difference in you and i'm telling you guys you need to do bring those two in meditation and gratitude you'll see how you will change and you will change um just powerfully you'll be amazed at how the rate that it takes place trust me i'm telling you <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. put some gratitude in your attitude <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> thank you so much that's <laughs> okay have Mama. a beautiful blessed moment you too